0: Hi, I'm Guy Powell, and welcome to the next episode of the Backstory on Marketing. If you haven't already done so, please visit ProRelevant.com and sign up for all of these episodes and podcasts. I am the author of the newly released book, The Post-COVID Marketing Machine, Prepare Your Team to Win, and you can find out more information on this at MarketingMachine.ProRelevant.com. Today, we're speaking with Sharon Goldmacher. Sharon is a seasoned digital marketer and public relations expert with 35 years of experience in solving marketing challenges for a range of clients in a range of industries, including real estate, technology, CIDs, professional services, you name it, she's done it. And uh, her company also, C21, has many, many accolades, and I'm not going to list them all, but there's a whole paragraph full of those, so really, she's definitely at the top of her game. And that also is not only in business, but in golf. So that's one of her favorite things to do is be out on the golf course or cycling or walking her dogs here in Atlanta. So welcome, Sharon.
1: Hi,
2: Guy. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm very excited to be here.
0: Uh, You're very welcome. It's so good to have you. So tell us how you uh, got uh, started in marketing. What's your backstory on marketing?
2: My backstory is is probably not unlike many, but uh, I went to college at uh, Tulane University. But I am a Sophie Newcomb grad from Tulane New- University, and um, I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up. So I studied communications and political science. I thought it was going to be a, a hot shot attorney, and um, I decided I didn't want to go to school anymore <laughs> after double majoring. And I almost um, got a minor. I was a dancer in college, uh, jazz and modern and ballet. So I was exhausted. Um, so I had worked for uh, WDSU, which was the NBC affiliate in New Orleans, and then I thought I might be a reporter, but I didn't want to move to some small town USA to build my reel. And so I ended up moving to Atlanta. I did some on-air pitching work for um, the PBS station here. And in doing that, I met someone who said, you'd be great in PR. And I'm like, (laughs) awesome, what is that? (laughs) So I had to do a little informational interviewing and research, and I met some great people along the way and ended up getting my first job, which was really a marketing and public relations role at a very small agency, and um, I loved it. So I was hooked at that point.
0: Interesting. You know, it's funny because I was engineering and now I'm in marketing. And how we got there from uh, where we started in in college, it's pretty amazing. So it, now you're the founder and president of uh, C21, which is a marketing and PR agency. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Our official name is Communications 21. Our tag is Communications for the 21st Century. We are actually celebrating our 30th anniversary this year. So um, I worked for two other agencies, loved what I did. Not great with authority, so I um, struck out on my own after about six years. And so when I was 28, I started Communications 21, but that is a mouthful. So we've essentially we go by C21 just because it's easier for people to to say and to find us. So. Um, But we started out as a marketing, uh, PR, and design firm, and around 2000, I guess, we were one of the first agencies in Atlanta to launch email marketing in-house. So we've been doing it for 22 years, and as a result, we just kept adding more digital services because we saw that that really was going to be the wave of the future, and uh, now we do video as well, so all the digital, you know, services. You definitely have um, more expertise in certain areas than we do, but we provide at least our clients with a holistic approach to marketing. And um, if they want to do traditional, we can do it. Uh, but we really do push uh, the digital because that's where everybody lives right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, and there's uh, no question that as the complexity or the the different offerings and the complexity around them in terms of all the different types of digital certainly leads to a lot of challenges for agencies and their clients. So what do you see today as the biggest challenges that agencies and and their clients are facing?
2: Education is always um, key. So making sure that we're cutting edge and staying in front of. It's always um, tough to get a, a question from a client when you're like, Hmm, I haven't heard that. <laughs> so you want to make sure that you're definitely in front of what's happening. I think um most of our clients understand the importance of digital marketing, but they really don't know the the where's and how's and they they kind of feel like it's all um magic behind the curtain, like Wizard of Oz. So some of it is explaining. Um, but to a point where they can understand, but they don't necessarily really want to execute or get involved. So um, we focus on metrics because I think um, being able to measure what we can do, and I, I use that as a bit of a tagline, like if we can't measure it, we probably are not going to recommend it as a tactic because most everything in the digital world is so measurable. Um, and if you're, if you're not measuring then I I think you're doing your client a little bit of a disservice. But I will say, and I think I may have said this um, to you previously, that there's a lot of shiny new toys out there, and the metaverse is one of them. And I feel like um, people are jumping on the bandwagon, and they don't necessarily know what the impact is or how to make the most of it. And so – Again, going back to education, going back to your basic foundational principles is if your audience is going to be in the metaverse, then, yeah, we should absolutely consider what the strategy would be to, to get in there and to connect. But if your audience is never going to be in the metaverse, then it's probably not something that you need to spend your
1: dollars on.
0: Yeah, and there's been some interesting uh, case studies with the the metaverse, and uh, and I will admit, I'm just uh, learning about it now and, and also trying to be a little bit more informed than our clients so that at least if they ask me a question, I can say I know how to spell metaverse. And so uh, there's <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> there's definitely a lot going on. And uh, so any interesting case studies that you've seen or any uh, interesting examples that really made a lot of sense for marketers?
2: Um, In terms of – um just information out there. I mean, I think, um, you know, I find it fascinating from, cause we do a lot of real estate. And so in terms of uh, metaverse things that I'm reading about, the real estate industry is, was one of the first to really dive in. I would say fashion, you know, mm. uh, Gucci and Versace and some of the luxury brands who have the kind of money that can, you know, go all out and just play. Um, But real estate got in there so they could kind of stake their claims on space in the metaverse. But I will say I've read some stories where there's a – I don't know if you've heard about Decentraland, but there is a a space that they are subdividing and selling leases for and plots for, um, and people are paying real money. And they said, you know, that it's a finite amount of space and I'm like, it's it's digital. How is it finite? You can just build more space. <laughs> like, <laughs> that didn't make a ton of sense to me. But, um, you know, I think uh, as time goes on, uh, we're going to see more and more applications and things that may not make sense right now. A year from now, we'll have better applications and make a lot more sense. I, I have similar questions around NFTs. Um, and there seems to be a target market right now for NFTs and I'm just going to say it, but it tends to be men
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: who want to see a replay of a basketball shot over and over and over and over and over again. And having worked, um, to support the NCAA men's final four tournament, I understand the passion around sports and specifically college basketball and college football, but, um, this is not really how women's brains work. <laughs> I'm just going to say.
0: Well, so we're going to leave the, uh, the gender-specific stuff aside <laughs> here a minute. <laughs> but, I'm, a, uh, I'm a
2: female founder with all female teams, so I tend to be a little bit female-focused. And
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and I, I agree with you. It, uh, I haven't yet figured out how NFTs can make money, but I'm sure that there will be something, and all of a sudden something will take off. Um, You know, and and it's interesting. There was a lot of hype about NFTs and then it kind of went away and then now it, it might be starting to come back. But it's also it kind of how QR codes work. There were, when QR codes came out, man, there was so much desire for them. And then it, it never really got anywhere. And then all of a sudden, I think it was really Apple. And I guess Google did it, too, as they combined and integrated the QR code reader right into the camera. Right. And all of a sudden and then with covid, all of a right. sudden QR codes are back. And, and so maybe something like that has to happen with NFTs and, and then the, the metaverse. It's so, very possible. Right. So, I mean,
2: COVID uh, was a huge impact on on QR codes and contactless payments and and all that. So I agree. Sometimes it's environment driven.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So help uh, educate us. uh, uh what would you call the difference between the term metaverse augmented reality and virtual reality and uh and then uh you know how you see that being uh possibly applied by different by different industries and and what have you
2: yeah i um again i'm not an expert and this is not something we do every day but um we have uh, through a group i um know a gentleman who's building um virtual reality experience boxes. So you walk in with your headset and you can have any kind of experience. It could be going on safari. It could be being on the moon. It could be um, something medical that you're learning about. And so you get education. You can virtually touch and feel something and interact with it as if it's real. um, And that's virtual reality. Augmented reality may be um, we had, for example, uh, used a kind of a pop-up video service, I guess is the best way to describe it, um, that you would scan any kind of flat graphic that was programmed in the back end, and you would have a video pop up right over that flat graphic. So if I had a brochure and I just took my phone and scanned it, all of a sudden there'd be a video right on my phone, and you'd still see kind of behind the video the the graphic or brochure, and that was just augmenting what you would already see. So that's augmented reality. The metaverse, to me, is just a whole world where you interact virtually, um, and you're going into rooms or games, or you're at a concert with somebody across the world, and you just Text your friend and say, hey, I'm in this room. Come watch Earth, Wind, and Fire with me, obviously, showing my mm. age, super old, <laughs> uh, but my favorite band. And, you know, that kind of virtual living, I can see, I can understand, like, I have friends all over. I would love to see them more often. Um and that kind of, I could see, could be cool, but I like human interaction. <laughs> I like, you know, the Zoom stuff is fine, but um, I like in person.
1: So.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a good differentiation. Um, uh, one of our clients is Museum of the Bible, and they had an exhibit where they had a projector over a book and then as you turn the pages in the book, the projector would then change and recognize what page you were on. And then it would present a, like a video and then, you know, other stuff with it. And, and, uh, it was pretty fascinating and it was a, in, an interesting case as to how you could maybe use that. I don't know if that would be augmented reality or virtual reality. I guess it's probably more augmented. But, uh, uh, cases like that, I think are definitely coming up. And, and you mentioned education as well. I think education, there's no question that when you can kind of almost feel like you're in there, that in that environment, that you can really learn and see different things that you otherwise wouldn't see just by reading a book.
2: There was actually a news story this, I think it was this past weekend or, or week. It might have been just this, a couple of days ago but it was talking about the progression of virtual reality and that um, medical students, even high schoolers who have a kind of STEM track are seeing a virtual skeleton that they can with headsets can see where the liver is or see how things function. And the compression of time that may happen in terms of, You know, someone going through school and their residency and all this, because they get to do things virtually, and not wait for a patient or cadaver, um, will will turn out you know more medical professionals in a faster amount of time, which I think is incredibly beneficial. However, I do still think the human connection and bedside manner, and those are things you can't necessarily get virtually. So there has to be some combination i think for
1: for true success.
0: Yeah, interesting and i like your example of uh, medical for the uh, the the metaverse to be able to actually see and feel and touch and and i think you're right you would learn the details of that and i would imagine too if you're going to be a specialist and you're going to be a you know an ear nose and throat or of whatever that you could then learn the details of that a whole lot faster than if, than otherwise. And so that might actually compress uh, areas where there are shortages of doctors. And certainly, you know, in the third world, that might be, you know, an interesting way for them to increase the number of available doctors very quickly.
2: Yeah. This reporter actually was working on, um, it, they were including tactile. So not just seeing but being able to feel and he wasn't wearing a glove or anything special but the way that they've designed the virtual reality Hmm. he was like I'm having trouble explaining it but I can feel you know a hard surface or stone or whatever and that's the crazy thing about how your brain works I guess so it can
0: yeah
2: it can really interpret things differently so
0: yeah. Well, I will admit, you know, when the Apple phone, uh, and I don't remember which version of it came out with the haptic, you know, where you, you hit something and you actually feel it vibrate. Uh, you know, I thought that was a really good way to enhance the product. And, and now, uh, you know, for, as a marketer, of course, is, you know, how do we turn that into something that can either grow the brand or improve the experience you have with the brand? And, and I think there's going to be a, a ton of different, uh, opportunities for marketers to, to take advantage of.
2: Yeah, I think it'll be interesting, too, for experiential marketers, for people who do large-scale events or, um, you know, testing of products for brands. And and will it change it and enhance it? Because I'm sure they're all moving towards having some kind of virtual reality mm-hmm. experience as part of the in-person experience. So no longer just cornhole but it might be, you know, <laughs> cornhole on the moon. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: So it'll it'll be interesting to see the impact and then, you know, quite frankly, the cost. I mean, as as a business owner yourself, mm-hmm. um, finding the right partners, but then being able to price something that a client doesn't go, Oh, what? <laughs> it's gonna cost me how much? <laughs> so Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah,
2: It'll be interesting to see how things change. But
0: Well, uh, one thing, too, uh, uh, we were just at a family reunion and looking at younger kids and the level of technology and the time they spend with technology and being in Minecraft or Roblox, which, as I understand it, are going to kind of be the foundation for the metaverse uh they they are going to be so far ahead of us it's going to be like you know my parents and the internet my mom would never use the internet and it took me forever to get her to even try it and i was <laughs> unsuccessful in, and i hate to say it i fear i might be the same way <laughs> when when it comes to the metaverse
2: i have a um i'm proud to say that uh so i grew up kind of all over the country i was i'm a californian but moved up and down the east coast as a kid growing up And I spent about eight years just outside of Boston. And some of my best friends still live up there. Most of them live up there. And when COVID hit, we would typically get together once a year, you know, maybe twice a year. And um, we started having a weekly Zoom call pretty much March of 20. And we have every Tuesday night, we have a call. And one of the women on the call who's very, she's an entrepreneur, very progressive. Um, she's like, why can't we just have flip phones?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: she, if she could not touch technology, she would be so happy. So, uh, you know, I bring up things like the metaverse to her and she's just, no, yeah. not, not going to have it. Not so. Yes, I agree that we may also. Because I, I kind of feel like we are different than our parents. My dad actually was an engineer and very adaptable to technology. My mom's pretty good, too, so I'm lucky there. But I do feel like, you know, I felt a little bit like there won't be that big of a gap. Like, how much more can they do? And now they can do a lot. So I'm mm. not a gamer, so I, I have team members who are gamers gamers, and I am jealous because they're going to, you know, they're going to be like, yeah, this is this and this and this. And I'm like, oh, what? (laughs) Pong. I remember Pong.
0: (laughs) I know. And asteroids. Those are my games. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're definitely going to be behind the curve on that. And actually, that's an interesting uh, challenge, I think, for marketers is how do you get if you have a. A product or a service that's ideal for, you know, the older generations, uh, you know, for the, maybe not necessarily the boomers, but maybe even millennials as opposed to the Gen Z's and the Gen Y's. Uh, you know, how do you, you have to wait for the uptake of the new technology before you're going to be successful with, you know, getting that, getting that metaversal kind of, uh, service Implemented and and really up uh, taken up by that by that segment.
2: I agree, and I and I also wonder the impact for P- PR from a publicity and media relations perspective. So, as reporters get younger, will the interaction be virtual like that? Mm. You know, so, gone are the days where you would meet someone for lunch. Obviously. Um, Most of it's digital. They're inundated with thousands of pitches and um, calls, and so how how will that change? How will they get information from, um, you know, just like you're pitching a product, you do similar things in PR, and so kind of what will change, and it'll be interesting to see. I don't know if I'm going to be around that long, but (laughs) – you know, things continue to adapt and and it's adapt or die, I guess, in terms of being. an entrepreneur. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think, too, and I've seen it as well, even with my book, um, is you don't even write a press release anymore. Ten years ago, and I don't know, maybe that's too far back. I don't know. But you'd write a press release and you'd put it up on PR web or whatever it was. And that would then get distributed And that you don't even need to do that really anymore. It's totally different. And I could see that changing here over the next couple of years as the, uh, as the younger generation gets into being on the reporter side and the editor side and, and they just want to be communicated with differently.
2: Mm-hmm. Agreed.
0: So you mentioned uh, metrics early on and of course metrics and analytics are <laughs> where I, where I kind of, uh, you know, my interest gets peaked. So, uh, tell us uh, some of the metrics and analytics that you've uh, found to be uh the most successful or the most beneficial to really help your clients to get that edge that they really needed
2: well they never look at anything so just providing <laughs> them <laughs> just providing them with analytics they're like wow really <laughs>
1: so
2: that is um you know i'll say real estate folks lawyers professional service people even architects um they they do not look at measurable results. It's just not in their language. So for someone to provide that, it's like I've invented sliced bread. It's crazy. Um, we again because we try to take as much of a holistic approach as we can to our clients. We will typically even if we're not managing websites which for most of our clients we do, but in the cases where we don't, we gain access to analytics. We make sure they have analytics on their site. Um, Now with, um, you know, 4.0, things will change in terms of how things are being looked at. But, you know, site traffic is still important. Tying it to um, if we're doing an SEO program or some kind of online advertising or social ad program, Tying certain clicks or certain web form, uh, you know, finishing. um, And email marketing is still really number one in terms of driving site traffic. So Mm. trying to stitch the threads together. So we'll tend to look at um, our efforts or discrete efforts that happen and then what the results are. So is it driving traffic? Was there a peak day? Was there, you know, um, and ideally, are there sales tied to it, so not mm. only do we drive traffic, but did people fill out their request a quote form or you know complete a sale and and you know really with with online ads, you really can see a massive difference, so if you're spending a little bit more money or you're spending a lot of money there there is a limit um to traction, but if you're spending nothing
1: <laughs> you mm. know.
2: Your your results tend to flatline a little bit unless you have some really big news or you have, you know, a great video or something goes viral. But, um, you know, incrementally spending smartly um, to drive traffic, we think that that's important. Um, we give them the whole picture on website, on social, email, and then anything else that may have occurred. And then... The end of our analytics is always, uh, this is where we fared well. This is where we're going to continue to work. This is what we think we should pause. So um, I think that clients are always happy to get just a quick synopsis and a chart of growth. Like, Mm -hmm. are you growing or are you not growing? And um, if they only looked at two slides without all the stuff in the middle, I think they would be at least have an idea of what's working and what's not working. And I think every client wants to know, you know, from a KPI perspective um, and an ROI, I guess, perspective, how their return on investment is if they're getting one. And hopefully um, the smart marketing people um, will say you should stop spending your money here because you're getting nowhere. But we think you should still like funnel that money elsewhere because you are getting results here. So
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One of the one of the challenges that we've run into is, uh, you know, for for larger businesses, they have the money to invest in metrics, and so they can either buy data or get survey data or buy third-party data, and then of course their own internal systems give them, you know, the sales and other other things. Right. Uh, the challenge is though for smaller businesses, and one of the things, and I I kind of heard that as well is. You just have to start measuring something and measuring it regularly and you'll start to see some things that, that take place. You might see a peak in web visits or web engagement or form fills or something like that. And then once you start to see that, then you can say, well, that's when we ran this little campaign or that's when we went to the trade show or that's when we did something. And start to tie those things to real value. So I, you know, I think what you're doing makes uh, total sense. And, uh, and I think the, the biggest thing is to just start. And, yeah. uh, I try and get that message across in my book is just start measuring, measuring something and then, you know, see what you get and then refine it and refine it. But you have to start and, and be diligent about it.
2: Right. It's just like, uh, when people used to come to us back in the day for printed newsletters, um, I'm like, you can't do two. You have to do them every month because you're just, I mean, it's with anything really in marketing, right? It's frequency. And so um, analytics are the same. And it's really interesting. I think over 30 years, um, we'll get clients who are like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Analytics, analytics. By month three, they're like, uh, are we getting our analytics report? I'm Mm -hmm. like, yep, we're working on it. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yep.
2: Yeah, <laughs> so they really do start to pay attention. The smart ones, I would say, that really um, have the time, maybe are a little more sales focused. Um, you know, they're making an investment. And so, like anything, they want to see what that return is. And yeah. um, they really will start to pay attention. Um, and they're kind of amazed, like I said. And to your point, if they haven't started just starting it, they're kind of like, wow, you can see that. <laughs> I you can drill down and see that. And I'm like, oh, there's so much more we're not showing because we don't think you're going to look at it. But if you want to see it, we'll we'll pull it for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And just get started. That is such a uh, – for metrics, that is just just so important. So uh, uh, changing the subject a little bit. So what do you see as otherwise big trends in, in PR and in marketing? Uh, We talked a little bit about the metaverse and whatever, but any other big trends that you're seeing?
2: You know, we're doing a couple of projects right now um, that require community engagement. And at least in Georgia, uh, for projects that we have here and really everywhere, um, the diversity of the population is really driving some different um, initiatives. Uh, we are working, for example, on a video, and if you've taken a Delta flight recently and you've seen their um, promotion, you know, their in-flight video before you can mm-hmm. take off, there's English and Spanish subtitles. And I think as the population continues to be um, more diverse and languages will become more important, um, that will have an impact on on how websites are developed, on materials that are provided, on outreach that happens. Um, and honestly, I think I'm hopeful that as kids come up in school, that there is more of an emphasis on learning more than English as a language. I mean, you look across the world and Italians probably know on average three to five languages mm. or you know, people in Spain, and so the world is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And um, I think trends that will continue to occur is people have to be thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion all the time. Now, it's mm. not, um, you know, people don't look like us anymore. It's um, important to to be diverse and get outside of your own bubble. Um, some of these projects are uh, heavily community engagement focused, and so there has to be someone who might be able to interpret into Korean, Vietnamese, um, Spanish, other languages on site so that, that the community can really engage. So for one of our clients, I, you know, uh, when we started, you were talking about CIDs, and people may not know what that is. Um, they are community improvement districts. They are designated areas where property owners pay additional tax and that tax goes into a bucket that's used for infrastructure updates, security, landscaping, beautification, cleanup, and it's meant to, it's a little bit of the um, broken windows theory yeah. that if um, things look great, you're going to attract more investment, more businesses, more residents, etc. And all that means is more taxes come into that county, and so it's it's win win. But the diversity of these CIDs is vastly changing, and so one of the um, ones that we work with is probably one of the most diverse districts, where I think um, Hispanic and African American are by far the mm. you know majority of the population. And so making sure that we are communicating in a, in a way that they can understand without being forced to read English and understand what could be, you know, complex um, is, is key. And I think that will continue to be a trend that we see going forward. So, you know, making sure that, that people are keeping that in mind um, from a marketing perspective, I think, will be really
1: important.
0: Yeah, I, I I agree with you. The uh, I'm on the board of the AMA, the uh, American Marketing Association here in Atlanta, and uh,
2: I am a former president.
0: And you are a former president, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but over ago. the over the last two years, we have uh, set it really as an objective to make sure that we are as diverse and inclusive and. Inclusionary yeah. as, as we can be, because it is so important. And to your, you know, you, 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 you use the words, uh, you know, they don't necessarily look like us and, um, uh, or look like me. And, uh, and that, it, uh, every piece of research that I've seen is so true. And, you know, so with being able to, um, make that inclusion, uh in all of our events is uh, is i uh, you know long term even in the short term is going to help the organization out and i think help out marketers that follow that and companies that follow that so uh yeah i'm really glad you you brought that up
2: yeah i mean uh, just hearing someone else's opinion that again may not look like us is is really really important i'm going through a a leadership program right now through crew which is commercial real estate for women and um, it is a very diverse mix of women in the, in the class. And so there was um, the topic, we had uh, a topic about DE&I, essentially, and there were a lot of um, some prep- trepidations, I would say, from other members of the class saying, you know, I don't know what I can ask, what I can't ask, you know, I don't want to mess mm. up, and, um, you know, I think and i'm jewish and so i i get asked questions like that you know like really
1: <laughs>
2: yes <laughs> um you know the goal is to be a, a friend first like get to know the person and not treat them as if they're on display you know if, if that makes sense like ooh you're the you're my first Black friends, so I'm going to ask all my questions. That's not how it
1: works.
2: (laughs) Not how it works. Um, So making sure that you are diverse is great, but at the same time, it's the equity and the inclusion part that I think are important as well, so that people are on a level playing field and they are given the same opportunities and that those inclusionary conversations are happening and not necessarily – You're the token, so I'm going to ask you because you're clearly representative of your entire population.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: That is not a good thing.
0: (laughs) That is not a good thing. I like your point though. The, the friend and the relationship is, uh, you have to establish first and, uh, and, and that has to be kind of at the top of the list. And, and that then will lead to the other, uh, you know, the other, the other bullets that, that need to be followed on that. Yeah. Good point. Any other big trends that you see?
2: Oh, gosh. Um Well, what are you seeing? I'm going to turn it around. You've got uh, way more people <laughs> on these podcasts. What are you seeing?
0: Yeah, well, definitely, you know, it was good that we talked about the metaverse, because that's certainly it, Uh and definitely the EI, so that was good. Uh, what I've found, which is, I think, surprises everybody, is that there has been a huge shift over to digital and online, so whatever that is, whether it's uh, you know, paid digital, paid social, paid search or online video, uh, that trend has definitely moved uh, and is being very successful there. And money is being taken out of traditional media. And okay. what's happened now with a lot of our clients is that the traditional media has now become very effective because the prices have come down, the targeting is better or maybe not better, but the targeting is there and, and the reach is there. And so we actually see that there's almost like a rebalancing going on where everything was kind of moving over to online, and now there's a little piece that's moving back again. And so that's definitely one of the trends that that, that we've seen.
2: Yeah, that's, it's really interesting. We um, Video, video, video. It is, it is really, you know, the, no one reads anymore. It's really sad. I mean, especially because I'm a storyteller and a writer <laughs> and no one reads. And um, it's really kind of crazy, the statistics that you see on how much video is consumed versus, you know, someone reading a book or even mm. a blog post. Um, it's important to have, obviously, from a technical perspective, having the your keywords searchable, very important but um, I think video will continue to change the game, both on the internet, social media. Um, TikTok has had yep. a massive impact, um, and so what is consumable, I think to your point earlier about um, different age ranges, you know, um, people can spend three to six hours on TikTok just scrolling through videos and but the retention level is what I don't know.
1: Mm, yeah. so
2: are they are they retaining? Are they actually going through and shopping and spending money and you know doing those things? But video is no longer something you can avoid. You have to have it as part, certainly as part of your um, social media, just because algorithmically it's rewarded. So yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you're kind of left in the dust. I was just on a call about a nonprofit they're focused on um, raising funds for Ukraine for sending medical supplies um, incubators you know kind of large expensive items and um, someone said you know I have some audio PSA's can you use those on social and I said no (laughs) (laughs) I can't (laughs) I need the video um So no one's going to sit and listen to a post. It's just, no, that's not going to happen. So I'm I'm not NPR, you know, I, uh, and it's not a podcast. She was like, it's a 30 second PSA. No, I need the video. So um, which we'll get, which is good. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's definitely um, here to stay. And um, I was at, Digital summit were you at the digital summit a couple of weeks ago Uh
0: oh, no 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 yes I was I was yes
2: There yeah. was um there was a woman on there talking about um you know uh, making videos that are engaging and right. uh, driving right. business and um she made some really great points but she also like I I kind of grew up liking my privacy and I'm not the type of person that Films myself. Putting my makeup on before I give a speech, you know, and and people like that, like people Mm -hmm. like to to watch that and a (laughs) little think of a worse thing. But that's me. So, you know, there for the people that can embrace that kind of thing and are comfortable with that kind of thing, they're they're doing really well. But I, um, you know, there's certain things that Personally, I, I might recommend it for a client, but personally, I would have problems with. So
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you are so right about video and, and uh, these short snippets. And, and I, I can't believe how, how well TikTok does. Uh, a friend of mine, he uh, does uh, leadership videos on TikTok. So they're about anywhere from, you know, 50, 60 seconds up to maybe, you know, a minute and a half. And, uh, you know, most of his are in the thousand views range. And then about two weeks ago, we had one that shot up to five hundred thousand. Oh, my God. That's I know. Amazing. <laughs> it absolutely amazing. And so now, you know, because of that, you get spin off on all the other ones. And then it, it's kind of this virtuous cycle. And uh but to your point, though, you have to almost uh and i call it surround sound marketing you have to be almost everywhere unfortunately you do have to have audios because people do listen to audios and uh things like that when they're driving or whatever and then Absolutely. obviously the videos and even these podcasts are a big opportunity and then the tiktoks and uh and then you know you talked about search as well i made a mistake uh with my podcasts i i i started on youtube and then I don't know why we we felt was going to be better over in Vimeo, and then all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, we're not getting the search. And the search engine on YouTube is so important that we are now moving everything back over to YouTube because you get all that value of of the of the well, search. To your going. point,
2: you could be on both.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's
2: no harm in being on both. So yeah, um, yeah, but the the search volume on YouTube is step, only second to Google.
1: Yeah. Know. It's,
2: yeah. It's really kind of amazing and and crazy. So, yeah. Yeah. That I would say is uh Yeah. An so uh ongoing trend.
0: before we close anything else uh, you want to bring up or anything uh we haven't spoken about that you'd like to talk about?
2: Well, I just I I don't think I uh so two things I think I would change in terms of uh me and my, you know, success over 30 years is uh, I'm not a morning person. And I truly believe that the early bird catches the worm. <laughs> so, Like if only I was a morning person, I'd be a billionaire. But um, I also am a very, I'm a detail person and less of a visionary, but I, I will say I'm kind of the slow and steady wins the race type mm. entrepreneur. I'm a risk averse entrepreneur. Um, and I, when people say two things to me, I always kind of cringe, like, where do you see yourself in five years? I'm like, oh, my God, I have no idea.
0: Well, <laughs> um, absolutely. Yeah.
2: Clients who have asked for five-year plans, I'm like, why bother? It's <laughs> it's going to be different six months from now, you know? So I feel a little vindicated that we live in a time that things change so much that I can say I'm, we're not doing a five-year plan. But um so I wish I had uh, been a little bit more of a visionary, I guess, but I'm, I am proud to say that I've been around for 30 years, so that That's I a... can never uh, forecast, like, I'll do this for a few years, see how it goes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it goes
2: by fast. Like, I get, I don't have children, I have uh, fur babies, but um, they grow up fast and mm-hmm. um, I have loved, but uh, some days are really slow, but... <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: for the most
2: part, the 30 years have gone like that.
0: So. Yeah, it is amazing. Uh, it is absolutely amazing. I've been doing this for 17, and and uh, it's a baby. It's, I know, I know. I'm just a I'm just a youngster in this. <laughs> well, uh, thank you uh, so much, Sharon. Really appreciate it, and thank you so much for the time and very interesting discussion. Uh, where would you like people to go for them to reach you or your company and Maybe yeah, give you your can, website.
2: You can go right to our website, which is c21pr.com. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Sharon Goldmacher, easy to find. And you connect, can connect with us on social, on all the socials. Um, and uh, yeah, we have some videos on our website as well. You can see some of our video work, and uh, that would be great. I would love to connect with your audience. It would be awesome.
0: Fantastic. So c21pr.com. And then of course Sharon Goldmacher on, on LinkedIn. Yeah. So with that, again, thank you so much, Sharon. Uh, and then for the audience, please stay tuned for other videos in this series of the backstory on marketing. Please visit marketingmachine.prorelevant.com and you can download any of these videos and also uh, podcasts. And uh, don't forget to sign up for more of these. And then if you get a chance, please rate them with five stars. Thank you so much. And thank you, Sharon.
2: Thank you, Guy. Have a good afternoon.